0: Megalopolis can be until you've seen Mexico City. I guess there might have been bigger bergs in like China or something, but boy howdy, Mexico City seems endless. Anyway, the bane of my existence and I had agreed to one more air show, and of course it was the one in Mexico City where Dr. Wonderful would be meeting us. So we were over a ginormous open air stadium, the Estadio Azteca, which held about 114,000 people. Every seat was filled, we changed the choreography and of the stunt since the last show, so if anyone had made a plan to take us out, they'd have to rethink it. Around us, mile upon mile of densely packed buildings stretch as far as we could see, and we can see pretty dang far. "'I need a scuba tank,' Nudge said, flying over to me. She was holding her nose with one hand. "'And a face mask.' She gave a couple coughs and shook her head, her eyes watering. I assume you're referring to the wee pollution problem, I said, raising my voice to be heard over the wind and the multitudes cheering below. The people in the stadium were looking up to see us silhouetted against a thick gray sky, but it was not a cloudy day. The thing is, with 19 million plus people, and 4 million plus cars, and a bunch of businesses making stuff, Mexico City is incredibly, horribly, nauseatingly polluted. Which was why the CSM wanted us to be there, to bring international attention to it. When Dr. Wonderful was prepping us for the air show, she told us that there had been half a million pollution-related hospital cases just in the past year. Now we were wondering if we were going to raise that number to half a million and seven. I'm getting a headache, Gazzy said, circling closer to me. We split apart in a six-pointed star, with total in the middle, and the crowd below went crazy. Like a huge rolling wave of sound, the chance came to us. We have the power. The future is now. Kids rule. I raised an eyebrow at Fang. Kids rule? He shrugged. I can't control what they quote from the blog. He said. What am I going to say? More power to the grown-ups? I don't think so. How many readers do you have now? Fang had started a blog months ago using our super-duper contraband computer. He had his own fan clubs and everything. Girls sent him ridiculous emails about how wonderful he was, what a hero, etc. It was enough to turn your stomach. About 600,000 log in pretty much every day, Fang said, automatically scanning the airspace around us. He and I suddenly soared upward, facing each other, about two feet apart. The crowd below gasped and I knew it looked impressive as all get-out. Then Iggy zoomed up to join us, and he, Fang, and I made a triangle, our wings moving in perfect order so that we didn't whap each other on the upstroke. Total hovered way above us, like a star on top of a Christmas tree. A hundred yards below us, Nudge, Gazzy, and Angel were a triple stack of bird kids, centered one over the other, moving their wings in unison. Everyone up, everyone down. At Gazzy's signal, they all turned and started rocketing earthward, still precisely stacked. Fang, Iggy, Total, and I counted to ten, then angled downward also. It was time for us to land on the field. Supposedly, they were going to give us some kind of award. You're national heroes, Dr. Amazing had said earlier, pushing her, yes, red hair, out of her eyes while Fang watched her with interest. Not only here, but in other countries, too. You guys are so young, but you've accomplished so much and exposed so much evil. Plus, you helped publicize the melting of the planet's ice and spoke to Congress. You're amazing. Who was she beaming at? Yes. Fang. Who, exactly, had gotten up the nerve to speak to Congress? That would be moi. But, judging from Bridget Dolyer's unprofessional adoration... Fang alone had just saved the entire known world with one wing tied behind his back. It had been all I could do not to trip Bridget on her way out. Which was stupid, because why did I care? Never mind, forget. I asked. The field below, big enough for the World Cup, and anything else where 114,000 people suddenly needed to be at the same place at the same time, beckoned us. There was a line of uniformed security guards hired by the CSM, ringing the perimeter to protect us. I saw Nudge, Gazzy, and Angel land flawlessly, and wave at the crowd as a hundred thousand cameras flashed. Unfortunately, since a camera flash bears a striking resemblance to the flash a gun makes when it's fired, by the time I reached the ground, I was so twitchy and pumped full of adrenaline that I thought I might hurl. We joined the rest of the flock on the green turf, and then all automatically circled, facing outward, as if we were six and a half, cute little covered wagons warding off Native Americans who were inexplicably ticked off that we'd taken all their land and given them colds and killed most of them. The crowd was roaring too loudly for us to hear guns. Heck, we wouldn't have been able to hear a chopper. It was, pretty much, the most nightmare situation I could possibly imagine, without literally involving a dog crate. And you know what's coming, right? Yeah. The actual nightmare part. Chapter 8. The Setting an impossibly big open stadium in impressive but noxious Mexico City. The cast of characters, the flock, Total, Dr. Amazing, and some very nice Mexican officials who wanted to give us an award, plus a TV crew. The plot? Just wait. It's coming. I hate this. Get me out of here. I said to Fang, keeping a smile stuck to my face. We were waving to the crowd so many camera flashes going off that I was sure I'd be blind in a minute. This is not a good setup, Feng agreed, looking around constantly. Tuttle, Iggy, Gazzy, and Nudge were working the crowd like old hands, bowing and soaking up the applause. Gazzy was spreading his wings and doing little six-foot hops into the air, and each time, the crowd roared even louder. Finally, one of the assembled officials tapped on a microphone, located at the center of the stadium. Bridget Doyer stood next to them, ready to give a speech about the CSM and what it was trying to accomplish worldwide. The official said something in Spanish, and the crowd cheered and clapped, chanting quotes from Fang's blog. Then Bridget took the microphone and waited for relative quiet. Buenos dias, senores and e señoritas, Bridget said, and people cheered. Ho Right then? A piercing scream soared above the crowd's murmur and stopped Bridget cold. Gazzy saw them first, ninja-type thingies, leaping over the upper ledge of the stadium and rappelling down to the field. "'Heads up,' Fang shouted. We had a second to exchange glances, thinking the same thing. We hadn't seen them on the roof just minutes before. Where had they come from? "'Up and away,' I yelled at the flock. Then saw the problem. Bridget couldn't fly out with us. We couldn't leave her to the ninja's mercy, or lack thereof. We couldn't abandon her and the rest of the people who had hosted us. The officials, Bridget, and the TV crew gazed open-mouthed as at least 60 slim, dark figures hit the ground and headed for us. I sized up the situation in an instant. a 100,000 people who might be injured or killed in crossfire. Innocent people right here on the field who would only get in our way. The seven of us, up against about 60 or whatever this new threat was. It was like old times. Belay that, I shouted. Battle up! As a maternal figure, I always try to keep the flock safe, of course. But, I admit, it did my heart proud to see the instant bloodless pop into Gazzy's blue eyes, and to see Little Angel automatically tense up and get into fighting stance, ready to rip someone's head off. They were just so... So dang adorable sometimes. We were a tiny bit out of practice. I hadn't taken anyone apart in several weeks. But once you've learned the nasty, street-fighting, no-holds-barred art of Max quando, you never really forget. Get em, I shouted as the dark figures raced toward us. Liquid-fire adrenaline surged into my veins, making me jittery and lightning fast. As soon as one was within striking range, I jumped up and out both feet forward. They connected heavily, slamming the new threat in its middle. It doubled over, but snapped upright quickly, its dark hood slipping back to reveal a weird, humanish face. Humanish except for the glowing green laser-like eyes. I landed, spun on one heel, and snap-kicked backwards as hard as I could. I caught it in the shoulder and heard a crunching, breaking sound. With its good arm, it swung at my head much faster than a human could and with much more force. I leaped backward just in time, feeling the bear's brush up its knuckles against my cheek. A second one rushed up, followed by a third. One grabbed me from behind, tearing my jacket. My new jacket that my mom had given me. Brand new. Not from Goodwill or a dumpster. He'd torn it. Now I was mad. A split-second glance revealed that the flock was doing what it did best, deconstructing things. No one needed help, so I bowled my fist, put my head down, and went after my attackers. These skirmishes always seem to last so much longer than they actually do. I felt like I was punching and kicking and swinging and wailing for two hours, but it was probably about six minutes or so. During that time, I figured out that these new threat thingies had a couple vulnerable spots. If you brought both hands down in a chopping motion, right on top of their heads, their heads actually split open into several metallic strips, like a sectioned orange. Okay, a really gross orange, but you get the idea. Another vulnerable spot. Their trim little ankles. One good strong kick, and they snapped like balsa wood. In less than 10 minutes, thanks to us and the hired security force, The grassy lawn looked like a combination of an army hospital field and an automobile chop shop. Bridget and the officials were white-faced, held together by the podium. A quick inventory of the flock revealed the usual bruises, bloody noses, and black eyes, but nothing serious. Fang came up to me, his face grim, his knuckles raw and bleeding. I knew what he was going to say. Okay, no more air shows, I said. Chapter 9 Dr. Doyer and the CSM had arranged for a special safe house for us. Actually, five. Four were decoys, and kept the real location a secret until we were in a car headed there. Seeing battles is hard if you're not used to it, Fang said, watching Bridge's white face. She nodded tensely, struggling to maintain her cool. She hadn't been hurt, but her clothes were spattered with blood. i had been standing right next to her when I happily discovered the new threat's orangey weakness. It's not a picnic, even if you are used to it, I said. What were those things? Iggy asked, rubbing his bruised and scraped knuckles. Not sure, I said. I've been trying to figure that out myself. They hadn't been erasers, those wolf human hybrids that had tried to kill us once every hour for the last four years. They hadn't been flyboys, which were the flying cyborg versions of erasers. They hadn't been straight robots. They were robot but with a bit of flesh grown over their frames, and apparently didn't fly. They hadn't spoken, but that didn't mean they couldn't. It's a mystery, I said, deciding to worry about it later. Right now, I was hungry and a little shaky from the drop in adrenaline. Pushed my hair out of my eyes, and just then noticed that Dr. Brilliant's hair was actually cut in a style. Like, on purpose. I'd had my hair cut by an actual hairdresser exactly once in my life, and that was many, many battles ago. I felt like a truck driver next to Bridget Doyer. A truck driver with bad hair, a black eye, dried blood on my nose, and ripped in bloody clothes. Not an unusual look for me, but all of a sudden, I felt... I don't know. I don't know what I felt. Here we are said Bridget, as we pulled into the driveway of a smallish stucco house. The houses were packed tightly together here, and the streets were full of dogs and cars, the yards strung with lines of clean laundry. I automatically scanned the area for possible hiding places, points of vulnerability, whether the windows were breakable, whether the trees would get in our way. Fang got out first, raked the area with his stare, and determined that it was safe. The us piled up quickly and hurried to the back of the house. I felt tired and irritable, and worse, kept sensing Brigid looking at Fang. I just wanted to eat about three banana splits and then collapse. Warm yellow light spilled out a window, forming a slanted rectangle on the grass. Just as we reached the back door, it swung open. I stopped so suddenly the angel bummed into me. I got on the balls of my feet ready to leap into action if someone dangerous was behind that door. At first, all I saw was a silhouette. At the same moment, a delicious, familiar scent wafted out into the warm night air. Chocolate chip cookies, fresh from the oven. The silhouette was my mom, Dr. Valencia Martinez, and she was smiling at me. And the world seemed loads better. Chapter 10 Man, I feel great he said an hour later. He tipped back in his chair and patted his stomach, now full of enchiladas, tacos, chips and salsa, and cookies. Love Mexico, he crooned. Love Mexican food. It's good to see you again, my mom said, kissing my cheek. Again. I beamed at her. You too. And I haven't seen Ella in ages. I've got so much to tell you, my half-sister said to me. She quickly pushed a couple tortilla chips into her mouth, her eyes wide. We had a dance at my school. My mom smiled at Ella, looking tired and proud. Yes, she even gave up two hours with me to attend. Ella and I had been stuffing envelopes and making phone calls for the CSM in every spare minute. For a second, I was jealous. Ella had so much more of my mom, all the time. Her whole life. Then, I felt guilty. Ella deserved to have our mom, and it wasn't her fault that I couldn't. The fact was, my mom had had Ella in the normal way. I had been an egg donated to science and was fertilized in a test tube. Neither of us knew the other had existed until this past year, and now, no matter how much we cared about each other, it was still too dangerous for me to live in one place for any length of time. Being with my mom would also mean putting her and Ella at risk. And i wouldn't do it amazingly i'm not that selfish yet you've been doing an incredible job for the csm2 honey my mom said to me but i agree that the air shows must be cancelled there's just no way to guarantee your safety jem batchelder pulled out a chair and sat down propping his elbows on the table and lacing his fingers together has everyone had enough to eat he asked I slowly let out a breath, not looking at him. I would never get used to seeing him again, after thinking he was dead for years. I would never accept that he was a good guy, after everything he'd done to me and the flock over the last, what was it now, eight months? Time was so stretchy in my life. Somehow my mom trusted him, and I trusted my mom. But that was as far as it went, despite the fact that as far as I knew, He was my biological father, the other half of the test tube cocktail that had produced me. But I never, ever thought of him as my father. Ever. The CSM isn't our only concern right now, Jeb said. His hair was starting to go gray. I'd love to think that I caused some of it. We need to discuss your next steps. Instantly, I felt my face set like stone. I didn't look at Fang, but knew he'd have the same expression. None of us had ever reacted well to the amusing notion of having grown-ups decide things for us. Like our future, or what we did, and so on. Oh? I said in a voice that would have made most people pause. Jeb was used to it, having heard it from me since I was about three years old. Yes, he said. A new school was recently created. The day and night school. It's for gifted children, and it's designed to let kids learn at their natural pace and ways that suit them best. You'd all do really well there. It's one of the only schools on Earth where you'd fit in. Yeah, we're all about fitting in, I said, rolling my eyes. Where is it? Naj asked. I heard the eagerness in her voice and groaned to myself. It's in a beautiful and secluded part of Utah, Jeb said. It's got mountains, a lake to swim in, and horses to ride. Ooh! said Nudge, her brown eyes wide. "'I love horses. And school.' A wistful expression came over her face. "'Tons of books and other kids to talk to?' "'Nudge, it's out of the question,' I said. I hated to run on her parade, but she knew this was crazy. There was no way we could go to some school somewhere. Had she forgotten what had happened the other times we tried to go to school? It was like regular usual nightmare, plus homework.' Nudge turned pleading eyes to me. Really? It would be nice to be in one place for a while and learn things. I like school, said Ella, even though some kids are buttheads. We usually have bigger problems than kids being buttheads, I said, trying to squelch my growing irritation. Nudge, you know we have to keep on the move. Remember the suicide sniper guy? There's no way we'd be safe. We can guarantee your safety. Jeb offered. This is the real deal, kids. Oh, the real deal, I said, sarcasm dripping. So it's better than all the fake deals, huh? Guarantee our safety? Please. How can you even say that with a straight face? I've checked into it, my mom said. I have to admit, it seems like a good program. And the woman who runs it is one of my friends from college. (sighs) Well... Buddha himself could come to me in a dream and tell me it was the right thing to do, and I still would not get on board. Because when it comes right down to it, in the end, when push comes to shove, when my back's against the wall, when I can't think of another freaking cliché to throw your way, the only person I really, really, really trust, no matter what, is me. This policy has paid off for me any number of times. The next person I trust after me is Fang. There isn't really a third person, not because I don't love the flock or my mom or whoever, but because Feng is the only person I know almost as well as I know myself, and he's the only person I know who is close to being as tough as I am. He will not break under torture. He will not sell me out. So, on various levels of trust after Feng, i choose the rest of my flock, my mom, and Ella. Jeb didn't make the list. School is out, I said firmly. Next question. Hey, and thanks for listening to another episode of Maximum Crime, a Maximum Raid bootleg audiobook podcast. Thing, I am your all of it, Markey. And sorry if you saw the previous upload of this episode that was 35 seconds long. Somehow I managed to save on the completely wrong recording and only record the intro. I don't know. The podcast realm is still a mystery to me even after like a year and a half of doing this. Anyway, I got a couple reviews on Apple Podcast. If you want to leave me a rating review there, I promise I will get to them faster than this one. Apple Podcast doesn't actually notify me when I get a review, which is unfortunate, so I have to go search for them myself. This one is from Dare to Love and they said, Five stars. Thank you so much for this podcast. I practically grew up with the series, and it's really nice to see that the fandom hasn't died. Although the book series itself is not perfect by any means, I think Max deserved so much better. P.S. I think you portray Max perfectly. Thank you so much, Dare. I also practically grew up with the series. I think I'm coming up on like 10 years of being oh, jeez. 10 years of being uh, a fan of the series, which is wild when I say it out loud. But uh, yeah, there's actually quite an active fandom on Tumblr, if you ever want to go to the dark side, go to Tumblr now that uh, Twitter is dying, question mark. Um, But yeah, I am hopelessly in love with this series, even after all this time. And PS, thank you. I love it when people say that I portray Max in a way that they kind of always imagined her, because hey, I also imagined Max with my voice. So don't let your dreams be dreams, kids. Thank you so much, Dare. The second review is from Alexander Starr, who I believe has written in before. Again, question mark. (laughs) Uh, And they say, Radioactive is a nice song. When I heard it, I was like, oh yeah. Yeah, uh, I don't know if anybody else has noticed this, but I tried to match up kind of the theme of the book with the music. So if you remember what happens in this book, I think you'll kind of catch my drift here. But uh, thank you, Alexander. Alright, that's business out of the way, so let's get to the recommendation for this week. This week's recommendation is the series Heartstopper. Heartstopper originally started as a webcomic, and it has recently been adapted into a Netflix series with eight episodes. It's about a boy named Charlie, and he makes a new friend named Nick and they become fast friends very quickly and maybe become something more. So the series is them kind of exploring their relationship and kind of discovering themselves. It's a very cute, like slice of life, kind of cheesy LGBT romance. It's, oh, it's so peak. I recently started reading the webcomic and I'm about halfway through it. And as far as I know, the author is still updating, which is very exciting. But the Netflix series follows it pretty closely, which is awesome. And there's even a little bit more development with the side characters, which is incredibly exciting. You love to see it. But yeah, if you're into kind of low stakes LGBT romance, I would highly recommend Heartstopper. I will leave a link to the tapas page in the show notes if you want to check that out. Alrighty, if you want to leave a rating review like Alexander and Dare to Love Dead, you can do that, and it would be super cool of you to do that if you want to. If you want a faster way to get in contact with me, you can email me at MaximumCrimepod at gmail.com or hit me up on my Tumblr over at Maximum-Crime-Pod. Alrighty, I think that's all I got to say for this time. So, until next time fly on